Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Welcome back, everyone. We are in our summer series where we're just hearing stories from various amazing first responders and frontline workers. I'm so grateful to join you again with an amazing guest, and I can hardly wait for you guys to hear it. Let's dive in. Well, welcome, Shannon. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited that we were able to make this work given the ridiculous time zone differences between you and I. And I'm excited that we have working internet on both ends to pull this off Yay, so far. for now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Okay, so let's start with this. The people who are listening have no idea who you are, anything about you. So why don't you open with just kind of your story, where you're at, what you're doing, what you've done for the last while. Goodness. Okay. <clears throat> so I have been a nurse for the last 15 years, uh, worked in various areas of nursing, whether acute medicine, emergency, pediatric emergency. Um, And then about four years ago, I moved with my family here to East Africa. So we're living in Malawi and I'm working now more with like more like complex HIV patients and those that have TB and other like comorbidities. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've juggled a lot through my career, like working part-time, casual, full-time, juggling four kids, homeschooling, not homeschooling. I've had to change jobs a lot and roles many times to make room for family. So um, I feel Mm -hmm. like my career has really just been a complex, you know, constantly changing dynamic of where I am at home and where I am with kids and wanting to do more training and struggling to find time and, you know, all those things that we're juggling as moms and practitioners. Um, And currently I'm (laughs) <laughs> while working here in Malawi, I'm also um, doing graduate studies. So I'm training to be a nurse practitioner. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm hoping maybe to transition a little bit out of the acute care space and more into primary care, which has me really excited, actually, because I think um, as much as I've really, really, really loved working in the hospital setting, I also miss having deeper connections with patients. And I found in my last yeah. years working, especially in emergency room, I feel like... Um, It just wasn't as satisfying as I thought it would be. I thought I would have deeper connections with patients and it just felt so hectic that I could never have that personal touch that I went into nursing for. So Mm -hmm. um, kind of struggling with that, trying to decide where to go from after these many years and not being able to advance as much as you hope when you're also juggling having small kids. So kind of back in the game again, trying to do school and figure out where to go for this part of my career, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of an interesting 
balancing act, right? Like the, the family and the work and, and those various pieces. It's also always fascinating when you're trying to recognize, okay, so this didn't kind of fall out the way I expected it to. It didn't feel how I expected it was going to feel. So I need to like pivot that a little bit. We actually just, um, in June finished a series called escape hatch where we're talking about, um, how we kind of have a plan B and sometimes that's like within our career, but like mm. a slight deviation from where we thought we mm. were going to be. Right. So I worked in Emerge, I worked in ICU, but that didn't feel like it fit how mm. I wanted it to, or didn't feel like it fit anymore given where I'm at in my life and what I want for myself now. Right. And that sometimes it's like a wholly different career. Like we've talked to some people who like jump totally into a different direction. Um, but others who just kind of find a way to pivot within the career to a different path. And it sounds like that's hmm. what the nurse practitioner piece maybe feels like as yeah. an option for you. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like the first, um, I started off my career probably, I still look back at that. That was the best unit I ever worked on. I worked at VGH mm-hmm. and I had to, Vancouver General Hospital, and I had to commute pretty far, but it was such a good team and it was such a phenomenal place to learn that I ended up staying in acute medicine for almost 10 years. And I, it's crazy because when you're a student, you think like that's the place you don't want to end up. You always want to end up in a specialty, but I mm-hmm. loved it so much. Um, but because of the commute, once I started having kids, Um, I had to change to a closer hospital, which meant changing Mm -hmm. health organizations. And I lost all my seniority and had to go into um, a casual position because you couldn't find full-time positions. And so then just, I just felt like from then on, it was just like, I was struggling to feel like I was really part of the workplace, like, but I couldn't do Mm -hmm. more than being casual. I needed control over my hours. Like I needed to not do nights anymore. I struggled so hard with nights after having my firstborn child. So I just couldn't do nights anymore, but there's like no nursing lines that don't do nights unless you, you know, you're a senior Mm -hmm. nurse and I'd lost all my seniority. So I I felt like I was bouncing around units, kind of making do and kind of fall, fell into that whole mindset of like, oh, I guess I should specialize. You know, there's this feeling in nursing with a lot of careers, like, I guess I should keep moving forward. So that means I see you, it means emergency and I can do that. I love the pace of it. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I realized like I probably could have admitted this to myself like five years ago, but I realized like I didn't love it at all because I really just felt like it's like manufacturing. You just feel like people are, I mean, you're not, not that you're not helping people, but you see them so briefly and then they're gone and you, you just are running. You're just running all day, running, running. Mm -hmm. And you just feel like it's so hectic and you don't have any meaning anymore. And I missed that about being in the unit I was in where I could actually get to know the family and advocate for the patient and like see them through the whole journey. Like I didn't have any of that anymore. And then it's just tasks and busyness. So I I don't know the latter part of my career. I've always wished, why didn't I just stay there? But you just don't know, right? You think maybe every unit's like this, but then you have a bunch of really bad workplace sites and you're like, wow, like, Oh, you mean like nurses aren't highly respected everywhere? Like people don't work as a team? But that's my experience. I went to different sites where nurses were not on the same team as doctors. And there was a huge divide and there was hierarchy Mm -hmm. and bullying and I mean, all kinds of othering that you just felt like you were never part of the core. And I just, I I feel like my first experience in nursing was my best still. And I'm hoping to get back to a place or a site Mm -hmm. that's better in that way in the end. I think that's one of the really hard things about these kinds of professions is that they're often kind of within a context of systems that are super broken, right? And so then we oh, yeah. are so busy in doing all of the frontline work, all of the tasky kinds of pieces that we kind of think like maybe it's me, maybe it's the job, maybe, but like 
it's also this context that surrounds us that creates these like really uncomfortable workplaces that can be quite toxic and dysfunctional. And there's so many layers to that, right? Like the divides between nurses and doctors, but right. Like there's, there's layers and layers and layers to that, that it's hard to even name it sometimes, which makes it really hard to feel like you have the ability to fix a problem and make it any better. Mm -hmm. Cause it's hard to even know where it's coming from. Hmm. Yeah, I would say especially like when I think about nurses, I mean, not all nurses are women, but a lot of nurses are women and a lot of us are juggling family life at the same time. And I think our generation wants different things out of work. We want family life balance. That's like actually something even in my graduate research is like a huge like we want work life balance. That is a value to us. In fact, so much of a value, it will make us change job sites, even if we love it, which is what was for me because of of the work life balance. And I think that's the hard thing is you might find a right work-life balance, but then maybe it's a toxic work environment or maybe it's, you know, like you just, it's hard to find everything in a workplace. You have to sometimes sacrifice something. And at the end of the day, you're usually wanting to keep your family close, right? So then you end up Mm -hmm. sometimes sticking through really not great work sites because you have the hours that work with you or the schedule control. And and that frustrates me. I, I really wish there was more thought about some of the scheduling situations that nurses have to go through to try to make their life work. It's just insanity. Um, yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think that's like, I mean, one of my greatest frustrations, um, in dealing with first responders and frontline workers is the awareness of the really great people who like, who like the people that like, if something happened to one of my kids, they're the people I want there. Like, right. Those are the nurses I Mm. want in the ER. Like that's who I want there how many of those people were losing because they're just like fed up with putting up with it, right? They're like, I will choose family over work any day of the week. And while I love my job and I want to be able to do it, you're making it so freaking hard and Mm. so uncomfortable and so miserable that I will scrap it. (laughs) Like I will walk Mm. away from this and do something else or go somewhere else. And that we're losing these really fantastic professionals who have Mm. earned their stripes in the job Mm. to like newbies who don't know, like God bless them for doing their best, but they don't have the the capacity to do in the same way because they don't have the experience and the years under their belt. And those are the ones who are being left to like manage these huge emerges, Mm. these huge ICU units, right? Like these areas that they are Mm. not supposed to be handling on their own because the burnout rates are so high as a result of that, like, I guess I have to sacrifice and just eat this because Mm. it gives me the hours I like. But the trade-off is that eventually that feels so expending that it's hard to choose to continue that indefinitely. Totally. Well, and nurses, I feel like a lot of nurses choose nursing because they see it as a calling. It's not just a job. It's something that they, there's meaning attached to. I want to make a difference. I want to help people. Like, and when you are unable to actually do that, it's so demoralizing. Yeah. And I feel like the, the, the funny thing is like when nurses are satisfied in their job, they actually do a better job and that, that totally. people actually receive better quality care. So like they're tied together, but we still have this idea that, well, we can just keep putting more on nurses' shoulders and they're going to just be fine because we're a hardy folk, you know, like we're, <laughs> we're tough and we'll just keep trucking. It's true. But yeah. at the same time, like at the end of the day, then we're not satisfied. We're not actually doing the job we want to do. We want to provide good care for people. And we frankly just can't in the same way yeah. that we 
like are expected to these days with how many patients you have to take care of and how much documentation you have to do and the expectancy that yeah. you're going to be able to do it all so quickly and and also be able to take all kinds of trash from other professionals like we're not taught this is my big so I, i'm going to get mm. on the soapbox but do i it, just lady. feel like they train medical people all in silos so we don't train together we don't train collaboratively so mm -hmm. then we end up as silos. So then it's like the medical team's doing their own thing and the nurses are doing their own thing. Now, this isn't true everywhere, but in a lot of places it is. And it's like, wait a second, like if we're all on the same team working for the care of the patient, then we should be taught together, like how to work together as teammates. And I just think you can't also take all the assaults from other professions at the same time and manage all the yeah. assaults from, you know, documentation and insurance, you know, all these things that fears you have about, you know, I'm sure you've talked about maybe the nursing case in the US, the nurse that was now tried and convicted for mm -hmm. making a mistake on the job. I mean, these are our fears, right? This is what's going to happen when we're just so yeah. much pressure. And I don't know, I just think what what happened to just like being able to love your job and to feel like you're capable to do your job? And how do we support people to be able to have the family life work balance that they want to have yeah. and feel passionate about their job still? I went into nurse, I want to nurse, like I want to do nursing and be a mom. Like I I never mm. wanted to do just one. I wanted to do both. I want to be a nurse too, but I want to, I want to love yeah. doing it, you know? Totally. Now I didn't have this question on my list of questions for you, but I'm just so curious that I have to ask mm. it. You have had exposure that I think a lot of nurses haven't had because they nurse in their community that they stay in and, and live mm. in forever and ever. You've had this kind of international skill exposure, both in terms mm. of working as a nurse in Malawi, but also I know that part of your graduate program has you like traveling to do some courses and exposure to different communities and organizations and countries and ways that yeah. they're going about practicing. Do you feel like you found anywhere that's doing it really right? Or like, are the challenges <laughs> the same across the board? Oh, I mean, I don't know that I can speak for all the countries or <laughs> anything like Maybe that. Maybe not all of the world. No, I mean, I think, I mean, I certainly think that um, nurses have a lot harder time here in Malawi, actually, than we do in Canada, because we are so accustomed to having, I mean, we just have every resource. And it's so fascinating to me to think like, really here, um, I mean, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. Their health infrastructure is mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. poor. So you just can't care for people in the way that, you know, like we can do in the West in the sense of resources. Yeah. They just don't have the resources yeah. to do their job. So there is a bit of a fatalism of like, that's just, we can't do anything to help this person, um, mm -hmm. which is really hard because nurses are still trained really well, but they don't have the resources to yeah. actually perform the job. So they have the same moral apathy and distress that I think is growing in Canada, where you just feel like you don't have the resources to meet the expectation mm -hmm. that's out there. At the same time, um, I would say that relationship with nurses and doctors is a lot worse here than it is in Canada, where mm -hmm. there is much more of the historic view of nurses that nurses don't have their own um, knowledge base or they don't have their own, like they're really just a servant to the doctor. And so I found that right. quite challenging coming here because there is an expertise that we're trained in and there is knowledge base that we have. And we have a lot of ability in Canada to be able to say, hey, why are you doing that? And I want to know what what this is before I give this medication or, you know, you have some power mm -hmm. to be able to sort of say, Hey, like, mm, you know, why are you doing that? Question it. But here there's a yeah. lot of hierarchy. And so a lot of cultures do have that hierarchy of doctors and nurses, which is really challenging and also just yeah. the resource lack. So in some ways I think um, just the moral distress looks different because in a country like Canada where you can do everything or so many things, it's expected that you do everything. Mm -hmm. So 
it's kind of similar, but here there isn't an expectation that you can do everything because you can't. So there's, I, I don't know how to explain that. There's a little bit like less yeah. pressure because you just don't have the resources. So people can kind of shrug their shoulders and be like, well, I can't do anything anyway. So I'm not going to run around yeah. trying. Whereas in Canada, it's like, you know, you should have the resources and you do have the resources, totally. but frankly, you just don't have the time. Like mm-hmm. you can't physically do that level of work. So it's just yes. different levels of moral distress for different reasons, I think. Um, whether it's, you know, the types of situations I've seen and been exposed to here and the losses and the things that are just unimaginable to us in the West that people, you know, lose their life over are just, it's really hard to see that. And, yeah. and it's not like nurses here aren't affected by that. They know that there's more that could be offered, but they just don't have the resources. So I don't know, it's, it's different. in different contexts, but I think different levels of moral distress. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like the pervasive kind of thematic piece, right? Is that like, there is this heart to go in and and choose a a career path like nursing. Mm -hmm. And when we enter with this heart to help and make a difference and serve Mm -hmm. people really well, and we're positioned in systems, whether it's a system that has an abundance of resource, but then also an abundance of expectation, or a system where there is a lack of resource and uh, kind of that like impossibility of being able to, to do some of the things that we know we could, should, would, but can't, hmm. right? That regardless, there is this like internal wrestling with how do I, how do I reconcile what it means to do this thing that I thought was going to look a certain way, but ends up looking like this? Hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. I think it's, I mean, I don't know that everybody always enters nursing with the same objective. I think we have a lot more latitude in Canada to make decisions about, I want to do this job because it's a passion of mine. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. here are looking for work, period. And for a period of yeah, time, there's a lot of funding for nurses to have free education. And so then a lot of people took it and ended up doing jobs that they didn't actually really care to do, but it was a job. And so I think it, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it can depend. We have a lot of value though, I think in in our context, like in Canada to like, we want to love our job. We want it. This isn't a job to us. We want to have a career. We want to have a meaningful impact on the world. That's really important to us. And so I think that creates more of a gap and more potential for moral distress when you find out that the field is just so difficult and it's so pressing on every part of you emotionally, physically, mentally. And if you're not, you know, I actually think the reason that I still love and am passionate about nursing is that I never was working full-time all these years. I had to work part-time mm-hmm. to be able to manage the home. And any of my colleagues that I saw working what really looked like full-time, it was just yeah. crash and burn because I just think, yeah. I don't know how anybody does that. Um, mm. It's just so hard to work full-time and it's so hard to shift from days to nights and days to nights. And it's so hard to have an inconsistent schedule. And it's so hard to like, I don't know, yeah. to keep that pace and then the pressure to do overtime and the pressure to keep growing in your skills and go into even faster paced environments and, I just think, mm-hmm. I don't know how people maintain it full time. I think that's the only reason I'm still doing it is because I yeah. I kind of had to do part time. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't know. And not everybody has totally. that ability. Um, but because of daycare being so expensive, like it to us, we just ended up saying mm-hmm. we can't afford daycare. So what are we gaining by me working full time? So I had to make some real sacrifices yeah. um, to be part time. And yeah. I you know, sometimes wish I could have just been in my career full time. I'd be in a different position right now. Maybe I have already done education or been more opportunity for leadership. I wish that I had taken mm. some of those chances, but then I feel like, I don't know how we would have done that with the financial yeah. piece of 
full-time daycare and, and just, totally. it's, it's just hard. Right? <laughs> it's totally trade offs. I mean, that's the challenge, right? Is like, we can only make decisions based on what we know at the time. And they seemed like the best decisions at the time. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they feel awesome, but they felt like the best we could do with what we knew and what we had available to us mm. at that moment. And so I think fair game that there's maybe some of that like, man, I wish it could have been yeah, like this. <laughs> but in the midst of it, right, like we're doing what we can. And it's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky to balance it all. It, yeah. It, I don't even know if I believe in that word anymore. <laughs> I think you know we're what? All I actually had a professor. <laughs> yeah. I had a professor who called me out on that word one time. We were giving uh, talks. Uh, there was a, a few of us who are all uh, clinic owners. And we were invited to give talks to students about private practice and what it looks like and feels like and whatever. And uh, this professor was uh, the the clinical director of the program at the time. And so it was at her home and all of these people came and were giving these talks and, and someone asked a question about work-life balance and what that looks like. And I started, which I regretted immediately, and said, well, you know, work-life balance in my life looks like this. And at the time I had an infant and I was pregnant and I was all of the things, um, balancing lots of Balancing is the wrong word. Juggling is more like what it feels like. Juggling a lot of things. And I used the word balance a few times, mostly because that's the question. It was the word that the person used. And I remember the professor saying, there is no such thing. I hate that word. And I refuse to use it ever again. And I was like, ah, oh. I mean, that kind of just like undercut everything I just said, but also preach like yeah, yeah <laughs> I agree yeah. with you it's a terrible word mm. but it's it's the like how do we juggle how do we how do we hold multiple tensions simultaneously when they're all mm. pulling us in different directions mm. and we're trying to kind of like kind of rein them all in and hold them all in this place that feels sort of in our mm. control when so much of it feels so not in our control yeah I like that word tension I think about that a lot like being in sort of these um I think so much of our life is this balance of like grieving and being content with the choices that we have made. And like you just said, giving yourself permission and grace mm -hmm. and compassion. Like that was the decision I had to make because of this factor that I didn't predict or yeah. expect. Like I didn't expect to struggle so much with nights. I didn't expect to have, you know, terrible insomnia yeah. after my son was born. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like I intended to step away from full-time work. It kind of was a byproduct of other choices we made to have a family. So like, yeah. I think it's just that's a, a huge part that's hard with life is making these, um, I guess, coming to terms with the decisions that we have made and the opportunities that we've walked into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the restraints of those decisions, like we just are not, we don't get to do all the things in all the seasons and we just don't. And yeah. we want to, we desperately want to, we want to be limitless, but we're really just not. We're limited. We're limited by, you know, our family life and our finances and so many things like your skill set, yeah. everything. So you know, you kind of have to be okay with, yeah, I guess that was, you know, I've learned a lot through the, you know, over time in my career of like, wow, like that really wasn't a great work site. And why did I stick that out for so long? And why did I, mm -hmm. you know, why didn't I value myself in that place? Or I'd have to be like, well, you know, but that was where I was then. And now I know more now about myself. And, you yeah. know, now I guess that's maybe why now I can give myself permission even to do schooling. Like for years, I wanted to do more education. It never felt like I could you know, step away from the kids. And I had a lot of regret about that and frustration, mm -hmm. but I'm at a different place now. It's like, okay, I can take what this is going to look like. Like there's, there is a cost yeah. to this, but this is something that we're all kind of on the same page about. And then I can move forward in it. So, 
you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's just timing and seasons and giving yourself grace and making the best of situations. And you know what? There's no healthcare environment that's perfect and there's no team that's perfect. And you're going to be dealing with all kinds of people and all kinds of situations. And I guess it's just being able to embody that space with your full self and to be the best that you yeah. can be in it. And, you know, I don't know, like, and even here it's challenging in different ways being in Malawi. There's so many challenges working here. It's taken me a long time to build relationships. You know, we've been here four mm -hmm. years and to be able to um, speak to the nurses and like basically be able to build capacity among the nurses for them to value themselves and more education and feel competent in their jobs here has been such a long journey. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's like every space is so mm -hmm. different and how, who you are in that space changes and, the space changes yeah. and you're just always trying to make sense of it all. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. right. That's, I think that's the really hard thing about life. Like not even mm. just career life or like mm. nursing life, but like life life, right? Like mm. we walk into all these situations, you know, hoping that we'll figure it out, but so much of it is figuring it out on the fly and managing competing mm. interests and trying to figure out just like, how do I do today? but also how do I plan for five years from now? And right. Like how do I have a path, mm. but also like today feels hard. Right. Mm. And so just this, like, how do we, how do we, again, hold tensions? How do we hold these? Like I am facing this kind of workplace in my immediate moment and I'm facing these kinds of, you know, family challenges and whatever in this moment. Mm. But I also trust that we'll shift and look different in three to five years. Hmm. And how I hope for that or plan for that looks a given way. But then how that will actually be to be in might be very different than I suspect. And hmm. I'll have to adapt again and pivot again and, and kind of reinvent my thoughts about who I am in that space at hmm. that time. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. No, I think that's, I think that's really interesting to think about because I think when we enter our profession, just like before we have a family, we sort of think, you know, I don't know anyone who's talking about having a family and they'll say, oh, well, we're going to have this many children and it's going to look like this. And I think any mm -hmm. mom you would talk to, the journey to becoming a parent is so different than most people expect, whether how many kids mm -hmm. you have, you know, what pregnancy and birthing is like and how you add to your family or don't. I mean, it's just like 
Yeah. It's not really much in your control. A lot of things dictate that over time. And I think it's true in our professions. Like we come in with these ideals and these objectives, like I'm going to be this far by these many years and I'm going to have already done all these things. And, you know, having that mindset right from the beginning of like, you know what, this is going to be a journey and, you know, it's going to change over time and it may not be what I expect, but I'm just going to keep learning and I'm going to be willing Mm -hmm. to try new things and, give myself grace when I fail at it and when it sucks and it's not the perfect environment or, you know, like having that, I guess, growth mindset or just that mindset in general of like, be ready for the unexpected. I wish maybe I could go back and tell myself that Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's okay if you haven't, you know, done all these advanced trainings by my age, you know, like 38, like, you know, it's okay if you haven't, you know, done all these things like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Grace. I love that. I love the piece you just said about the growth mindset. Hmm. Because I think that's actually a piece that takes uh, intention. Like, hmm. um, one of the things I hear from a lot of people is having had a moment where they started in the work and they saw that person. I think everybody had an experience like this, where there was like that person, that nurse, that whoever, who embodied what it meant to be terrible. Right. So like the jaded, (laughs) mean, grumpy, like ever present RBF kind of thing that just like scowls and is negative and complains about everything and no one likes being around them and they're never invited to the fun things. Right. Like everyone had that person. And I think everyone looks at that person and is like, I will never be that. And we anticipate that there is a a path that leads there that we will just never, ever come close to. Like I could never be that person Hmm. based on who I am now. But then life happens and life happens in ways that is so demanding Hmm. that has us in this like ever present go mode, right? So like I wake up and I make breakfast with their kids and I get them to school and I get to the job and I do the things and I'm busy and busy and busy and busy and busy. And then like, and then I get everyone to bed and I go to sleep and then I do it all again tomorrow. And when we're in this like ever present push, 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 rush, 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 go, go, go kind of a place, we lose time to kind of like step back and check if we're still who we thought we were and are we still in alignment with who we think we want to be and how we think we want to be? Are we actually like living the life we thought we wanted to live? Like, is this even what I thought I signed up for? Is it even close? And I think that it's like, that is the path to get to that person. Like when we don't Mm. ever take the step back, when we don't ever make the time to kind of pull back and go like, oh, I'm starting to get that face. Like I am starting to get that vibe. I am the grumpy negative one in the room now. When we don't like pause to recognize kind of the forest for the trees, we risk becoming that person Mm. because we lose ourselves in the rush and the hurry of it all. And I think part of it is like a growth mindset comes with some amount of intention. Like we have to pause in moments and be like, who am I going to choose to be in this? How am I going to choose to think about this? How am I going, what is an alignment for me to be the kind of person I want to be as I walk through this very challenging section of time in my life or experience that I'm having, right? Like it doesn't just happen by default Hmm. Hmm. so much of the time. Hmm. No, I think that's true. And I think processing what's already been and some of the, I think being able to actually reflect on the grief part of like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And wow, this isn't where I thought I would be. Like, 
why does it feel like this to say that to myself that this isn't Mm -hmm. this? Why does this feel like a failure? Why, Why would I think that? Like, I mean, that's, I think so much of what happens in midlife anyways, if you want to call us in midlife is just like a really re, you know, a real questioning of like, wait a second. A lot of this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Am I okay with how it is? Like, this is what it is. So, you know, and, and that's true of anything. Like people, it's so easy to think it's easier elsewhere. And like, you know, us moving abroad was always something we dreamed of doing. And there are so many challenges of this lifestyle that, you know, you don't Mm. really know until you're in it. Like you think, it just looks so easy, like go overseas, how great and exciting. And it is exciting, but there's losses. There's a lot of losses. Yeah. And we felt those even more profoundly because of COVID and how much bigger the distance has felt between family and other things, because it's just not that easy to go places anymore. And we used to kind of expect that it was always going to be easy to go places. Like it was, it was, yeah. we were in a period of time of such like freedom of movement and like flexibility and and then it all changed and I just don't I think that's why it impacted so many of us is because yeah we really just kind of did think we were limitless and we kind of were for a while and now it's like you know actually a lot of people have a lot more limits and they're used to this more regularly like you know Malawians can't just go anywhere it's quite difficult for them like they don't have the same you know they have to get visas everywhere they go they're not like canadians canadians are really lucky we've been able to travel so much you know i I don't know so you can have these Mm -hmm. thoughts about like oh you know i finally got to or even i finally got to the place i wanted to be in my career and wow this doesn't feel like i thought it would why does it why do i still feel not satisfied like why does it feel like there's more Mm -hmm. that i still haven't done like Mm -hmm. i just it's just being coming to terms with the fact that we're limited and like we're not going to get to do everything and we're not going to get to be everything and we have to be okay with where we are and sometimes it's not always what we think it's going to be but we can still find ways to be in that space with passion and drive and excitement and you know and change the things that we can and sometimes there are things that you're just like well this just isn't changing and I either have to be okay with that or I need to move on and if I'm going to instead of just complaining about it because like that's what we do we get stuck in sort of just being like this is the worst but like we don't actually change it or move on. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if you're not doing either of those things, then you're saying that you're just okay with it the way that it is. So stop complaining about it. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard. It is hard. It's super yeah. hard. I'm curious as you, like you have had a really interesting career. You've been in it a really long time and you've been in it in these very different contexts, which I think is really interesting when you think back on it, what are some of your like big win moments? What are the things that you look back on with like fondness or appreciation for your efforts that feel like that was a good moment? That was like a good moment in my career. Hmm. I mean, I really enjoyed, um, I feel like when I was not a newbie anymore, like I was, you know, at in acute medicine at Vancouver General Hospital for a good number of years and finally felt like I mean, I just knew where things were. I knew what numbers to call. I knew who to ask. Like, I felt like I knew who my team was and I could actually work the system and could like get to know patients Mm -hmm. and advocate for them and really get to know them. It didn't feel like I was spending so much time figuring things out all the time. Um, I really enjoyed that, that stage. And even like having students at that point, I loved having students that I would work with and later did some teaching at BCIT and I loved teaching. I found that really fun just to be like, I felt like this balance of being able to like be sharpened in my skill set by the students, but actually have real life examples to bring to the students. Like, because I was working both at the bedside and teaching, I really felt like there was a lot of value in that. I think just like, um, 
the odd thing is I remember thinking, you know, everybody says this when they're like, oh, I could never be a nurse, the blood, et cetera, et cetera. People say this, right? And mm. I remember thinking, um, I don't know how I'm going to handle death. And I just don't know how I'm going to be. Um, but mm. some of my most meaningful experiences with patients have been more on the palliative end of things. Um, just the deep mm -hmm. connection and the like loss of veneer. Like there's just no pretense. Yeah. People are just authentically yeah. where they're at and there's emotion and there's just realness. Mm -hmm. And I just loved being in those spaces with people because I felt like, yeah. I don't know, just being witness to, to that part of that, of that stage of life and being able to really care for people in that space, I just found really mm -hmm. um, meaningful. And so I, sometimes I think yeah. about, you know, whether or not I'll go more into palliative care. Um, but it, it looks so different sometimes with the way things are in Canada. I don't know. It'll be d just a different space to walk in, a very gray space sometimes, a lot of confusion about what roles mm -hmm. nurses should or shouldn't have. And But, um, yeah, I do think some of my mm -hmm. meaningful times with patients have been as they've been close to the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are kind of the, like, really cool pieces to cling to mm. is where we feel like that felt – that felt meaningful. That felt, I mean, good is maybe not the wrong word, but, yeah. um, you know, that felt like I, I did something that mattered today and, and I can feel good about what I brought to that, even though it's this like hard, challenging space. Kind of given that those feel like the big win moments, my, my kind of alternative curiosity or on the flip side of it is, are there moments that feel like regret moments or moments that I wish I could do over, do differently, um, or that kind of carry with me in ways that feel heavy. Like specific to like being a nurse at the bedside or more as just my career in general, or. I'm going to say whatever feels most meaningful for you. <sighs> my biggest regrets. I wish I hadn't, um, had to move sites so much. I did have to move around a lot to make, um, family life work. I'd wish I'd given myself permission to put the kids in daycare <laughs> um, or to, to mm. prioritize myself and my career at different points when it would have actually been a better mental health decision to actually do that than try to juggle everything mm -hmm. in, in the ways that we're talking about. I think yeah. part of that came from pressure from myself and different family um, about the value of being a stay-at-home mom, but I always, always valued working and I always wanted to work and I think I tried really hard to to be that person who could be the stay-at-home mom, but I really never really um, mm. wanted to do that fully. And I think I wish I'd maybe um, given myself permission yeah. to follow my passions a little bit more and not and not said it wasn't possible. I think that's something I learned mm. um, when I was doing some teaching is I really had this great opportunity to do teaching and I really wanted to make it happen. And um, there were some limits, but we kind of pushed through and we're like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out the solution to make this work with the kids. And so we did. And like, yeah. I, I took the role and I loved the role and we found a way. And I think sometimes we wait until yeah. everything is figured out before jumping in. And I think I would go back and, and say, you know what, like go after something and you will figure it out, um, where the kids are going to fit. And mm. I think I've learned that even through, I've gotten to know a lot more doctors here in Malawi than I did in Canada on a personal level, because I work with a lot of um, expat doctors here and, and you just get to know them personally before you get to know them yeah. in, in your job site. And so um, I feel like I've mm. like wondered, like, how did you do that? Like, how did you go through residency and had three kids? Like, I just thought, I just thought that that yeah. wasn't possible. Like, and 
I think, you know, now I see, oh, like you just made it work and you just believed that you would come up with a solution. And so I think there's a lot of times I didn't jump into things or try things because I didn't, I couldn't see how that was going to work before I took it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think being a bit more courageous and just jumping in without having it all figured out and just knowing that, you know, we're going to make it work. We're going to figure this out and um, not letting fear stand in the way. Yeah. And I, even with grad school, I feel like it was a yeah. huge leap for me to get back into school after so many years. And it was such a huge obstacle off after obstacle, so many obstacles of trying to have courage and, you know, and every time it's like, no, I, there's somebody that could help me or, you know, I just would find a mentor or something would happen that would like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to push through, we're going to make it happen. And you know, we have obstacles ahead of us. Like I, we have to move back to Canada at some point and we have to move to Ontario. We've never lived in Ontario. I have to get my nursing, my NP practice license, whatever in Ontario, which is like a whole new challenge. And we have Mm -hmm. to transition the kids again to another culture. And, but we've experienced like, Oh, actually like you do figure it out. And it's good to know that you can do it. And moving abroad was a huge step and we had so many challenges, but you know, you learn, Oh yeah. Like, we can survive in a different place and I can learn how to drive um, a manual truck. I've never driven standard in my life. And I, I had to learn that on the opposite side of the road in a very crazy um, roadway in Africa. I mean, I never thought I could do that. Like I, Mm -hmm. I never, you know, so. Yep. I would never drive there after having been there. It's terrifying. I'm I'm impressed at you. I just think though, like giving yourself, like um, just having the courage to like, you know, try new things and, you know, so what if you don't have it figured out yet? Like, just try yeah. it and and don't be afraid. And I would say that to myself. Um, wish I'd tried leadership more, or it's a you good know, one. Many things I wish I had just done. But. Yeah. Hmm. There's a book. I think it's like everything is figure outable, and I haven't read it. I don't. I haven't actually read it, but I've heard a lot about it, and it makes me think of that. Like, kind of like trusting that our capacity is greater than and we you think don't know. it is. And we're really good at putting up, right? You don't know until you try it. And we're, and as humans, we're really good at being pessimistic. We're really good at putting up barriers for ourselves and saying, well, I can't because of this. And I shouldn't because of that. And we come up with all of these reasons to, to kind of play small or quieter or to kind of keep things stable, right? Because like stable may not feel awesome, but I know it. And the known feels far more comfortable than the mm. unknown, which like isn't shocking, mm. right? But but it is kind of this like invitation to say, but what would it be like to play bigger? What would it be like to risk into some of those spaces and trust that I or we as a family have the ability to figure mm. it out, even if we don't know how mm. that's going to happen? Well, see, and we do that um, as children, Right. And we get to experience that through our kids, how they do yeah. literally just try things without having any experience. And they're not as afraid to fail. And we become accustomed to this fear of failing. Like we just don't want to move out of that comfort zone. Yeah. Like you said, like it's it is hard. I feel like, you know, I feel all the time learning yeah. the language here, learning Chichewa and feeling comfortable in that. And I have to face my own pride and my own humility, like the fact that I need to be humble in this moment of like, wow, I don't know how to say this and I'm going to have to stumble through it. But hey, look, I survived and look, I made a connection. Like you just don't know until you, and you keep stretching. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that lifelong learning attitude. um, I just think in any profession, if you have that perspective, it will take you a lot further um, because you're going to have to grow and stretch and things are going to change. 
and people are going to change and you have to learn to work with yeah. all kinds of people in all kinds of situations you never imagined. You just have to be flexible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I think that like at the heart of us, it's what most people want to be, right? Like we'd like to imagine ourselves as people who are adaptable and growth oriented and lifelong learners and all that jazz. And I think that's where we have to kind of take that time to reflect, like, am I, am I living that out? Mm -hmm. Am I showing up in ways that represent that? Or am I becoming more rigid? Am I becoming more fearful? Am I becoming more kind of constrained to the idea of needing Mm -hmm. control um, so that I can tweak that, right? Like, oh yeah, I I am Mm -hmm. actually becoming more rigid. What do I want to do about that? Because this doesn't feel like who I said Mm -hmm. I wanted to be. So how do I pivot here? Mm, no, I think that's fair. I think that's true that we don't always yeah. know who. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm curious about kind of how you've coped in the work. Like I, I know a little bit about you from a personal side of things that um, insomnia has been a part of your life. I know that there's been some pieces around just like kind of general mental health um, awareness pieces for you. I know you're working on a project about a a kid's book around mental health related pieces that Mm. I would love to hear about as well. But I'm curious for you, like what have been the skills that help you cope and survive sustainably in the work? It sounds like part of it has been actually staying part-time that that's maybe been a a bit of a survival strategy, even if it wasn't intentional. Mm. Um, But are there other pieces that have felt like really important learnings for you that others could potentially benefit from in terms of what's helped you manage in the craziness of all things life? (laughs) I mean, like my faith is really a significant part of my life, but also um, writing is a space that I find I've grown into as a way to reflect, like you're saying, like it is hard to have time Mm -hmm. and space to reflect. And I find I can do that best when I write or when I am in nature and I love, yeah, I love being out um, hiking or biking or doing something physical, moving my body. I feel like some of that stress and that anxiety that you just carry um, with all the things that we have on our shoulders um, needs to come out somewhere. And Mm. so I find that being physical is really important to me. Um, yes. yeah, I think those things are big community. I think I need, I don't need a lot of friends, but I need deep friends. I need people I can be real with. I don't, yeah. I don't feel like I can always be my real and full self in the workplace. Like it's hard to know people and be known for yeah. who you really are. You're kind of seen as a, a nurse, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, in, in some spaces yeah. you're seen as a mom, but it's like, who are you be, besides those mm-hmm. hats that you wear? So I feel like having friends that you can be really real with has been really important for me. Yeah, I think those are some of the big things um, for my longevity, I suppose, in this in this crazy mm. world that we're living in. <laughs> yes, but, those are solid ones. Yeah, I think all of those are fantastic mm. ones. Yeah, yeah, I think it's finding yeah. like I, it's interesting. You know, you have say, for example, being physically active. Like, you know, it is a journey in and of itself. Like. I used to play lots of sports and then I had some significant injuries and then you kind of have to keep reinventing yourself. Like, okay, well right now I know people who are doing say this other sport and you're like, well, let me try that. I've never done that before. Like maybe, Oh, and then for a while that works. And you're like, Oh, this is what I'm doing. You know, like in Malawi, I discovered how to mountain bike. That sounds crazy. There's not mountains here. And we come from Vancouver, which is crazy mountain biking, but yeah, which is like mountain bike country. But I thought that was like downhill. I would have never done that. But here it's just like, I mean, the whole, of Malawi is just so many 
paths because everybody is on a bike. And so I just, Mm -hmm. I loved it, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been a biker back in Canada, just like I gardened when I was back in Canada and I haven't touched the soil here. I, it's so different and there's such different plants and creatures. Don't want to talk about that. Um, different things that have kept me from being, but that was a huge life-giving place for me for a while was being out in the yard and doing things. And so I think that's, what's interesting is like, you kind of find you stumble into different hobbies and things in different seasons and spaces. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of a different person in different seasons and spaces. And so being like, okay with like, you know, Hey, that was a thing for me for a while. And I guess it's not anymore. And so I guess that's okay. I'll just pick up, I'll try this. Like, Oh, I haven't done that. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I used to love singing and would do a lot of that, but I never do that here. You know, just it's just interesting how you yeah. sort of stumble into one thing or the other to find life in it. Yeah. I think that's actually a thing that I talk a lot about when we talk about self-care is this idea of like self-care has to adapt and grow with you. Mm. And the reality is, is we as people change, our interests change, but also our lives change, mm. right? So I, I've shared before on the show about I, one time in life I started running mm. And I'm not great at running. I've never been a great runner, but I did it and I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the result of it. I enjoyed the feeling tired at the end and feeling like I had done a hard thing. I enjoyed running in the rain and feeling like I looked really hardcore, even though I'm not great at it. I enjoyed the like, I did a hard thing and now I get to be done and I can eat whatever I want. Yes, and I feel bad yes, about it. And yes. um, so I enjoyed those things about running. But what was interesting was uh, I had a back injury and I had to stop running. And it was actually at the same time that I started as a counselor. I finished grad school and I had entered the profession and I was working in a really intense job at the time, um, doing entirely trauma work in a really acute kind of setting um, with women who were fleeing from domestic violence and women who had identified as having early childhood sexual abuse experiences Um, And so my days were just filled with trauma all day. And then there, it felt like there was no place to kind of put it because I couldn't move that out of my body. So I sat in this trauma all day with people. Mm. And then I went home and didn't know what to do with it because I couldn't go for a run the way I used to go for a run Mm. because I was so injured that I couldn't do that. I couldn't do most things. Um, And then my husband stumbled upon this thing called water running. And it's literally like they throw you in the deep end of the pool with like a floaty belt on and you just run in the water. And because it was low impact, I could do it without injuring myself further. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting on a bathing suit. I'm not going and doing these things. That's not a thing I'm doing. And he's like, I'll go with you, which was even more hilarious because if you know my husband at all, he has like zero body fat. So he would sink like a rock. So he actually had to put on like three of the flotation belts in order to like keep his chin above water. Hilarious. So we go and I didn't know that you could sweat this much in water. It was the best. And so we started doing it. It was awesome to get to like go sit in the hot tub afterwards. By the end of it, it was like 9 p.m. And you wanted to go home and have a really good sleep because you had just like sweated out and then hot tubbed and you felt tired and it was so good. And for a season of time, that was the way of coping Mm. with so much of this stuff. But it was this huge adaptation. Like, I'm not a swimmer. I am not a pool person. I don't like having to go out again to do things in the evenings. Like, there were a whole bunch of barriers I could come up with. He just made me go. That was great. 
it was good for this chunk of time. And then my injuries recovered quite well and it adapted again and it will continue to adapt many times in the course of my life. There's been times where it's had to look different because kids are small and they need you present. There have been times where it can shift again because they're big enough to do more things on their own or you have the freedom to leave for stretches of time. Like it's this continual like ebb and flow thing. And I think again, it brings us back to this place of we have to be kind of taking some pause points to check in and be like, okay, what used to work for me doesn't feel like it's working for me Mm. the same way. I've been doing it and it kind of just feels like I'm hitting my head against a wall, right? Like it's, I'm doing it, but it doesn't feel like it's giving back what it used to give back. So what do I want to do about that? Instead of just continuing to do it or letting it go all together and not doing anything, which I think is what people default to is one of those two options. They continue to do it familiar, but they're not getting anything out of it. Or they stop it all together because they're not getting anything out of it, but they don't replace it with anything. Hmm. And then I see these people who will come in like much later in their lives and tell me that they don't even know what they enjoy anymore because it's been so long since they've done anything that they liked. They, they don't even know a reference point to start with. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I think um, my husband and I talk a lot lately about like um, input versus outcome and like thinking, I think a lot about outcomes. And so like, so for example, if you want to talk about weight and exercise and I mean, every, everybody's yeah. got their own <laughs> battle and journey with that. But I feel like for so long, I was always yeah. so outcome oriented, like, okay, well, if, if I'm not, seeing results like you know I I want these particular results and if I don't see them then it's it's meaningless or you know like what's why is this not working um as opposed to like this sort of input like okay well instead of focusing on whatever this is supposed to look like at the outcome like I have some kind of goal that I'm never going to get to like what does it look like to just be in the the habits of doing things that you know whether it's for Mm -hmm. me like just being the habit of being active because I feel better mentally and emotionally by being active and I feel like you know, then I don't have any limits with my kids because I, I'm active, you know, like then all of a sudden it changes because then what that is that you're doing can change. Like you can, oh, well, this is, well, now there's totally. this group doing this weird walking something, something. So I'll join that. And like, I've done a bunch of weird things here because people yeah. come and go. So I was doing this, these strong Zumba classes for a while. I'd never, I never wanted to do fitness yeah. classes, but they were a blast. And then, yeah. and then there was a group of women doing all these cycling and I was like I haven't done this before and they'd go like 40 kilometers and I'd be like I don't know how to do this let's try that and and then you just get curious yeah why not exactly and Mm. so I think that whole I that mind shift for me I've always struggled because I definitely am more outcome focused and like how do I just like every day be doing the thing the things that are meaningful and just trust that the outcome is there over time you know what I mean like the outcome is that I feel better and I feel you know like I don't know if that makes sense but just those daily routines and habits, I think, become really important then. And I just recognize that nothing happens yeah. by accident. It takes every bit of intention. Like I will never intend, like I'll never accidentally become in shape. Like that just doesn't happen. I have to intend mm-hmm. to be active, you know, and I have to intend to like yeah. continue my education, you know, all these things that we know, but like, you're right. We kind of sometimes hope that it will just happen accidentally or don't make a shift. Yeah. And we do need to make mm-hmm. shifts sometimes and it's hard and painful and stretching and and we, and we don't get it right a lot either. Sometimes we try things yeah. and it's not great and we have to start again <laughs> like and again and again. Totally. Oh, dear. Well, and I think what I think is cool about some of the pieces you've shared, and I think you would have to learn to do some of this, especially if you're living abroad and, mm. and trying to adapt to a different culture and different environment and different um, things that are available to you within those spaces, mm. is a willingness to experiment, mm. which 
fascinatingly, people don't like doing. Like I pitch this to clients all the time where I'm like, okay, so you haven't done self-care in a million years. You don't know what you like. That's fine. I mean, sucks, but it's fine. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to do like this experimentation thing where you're going to try some different stuff out. And I don't want you to just try it once. You have to try it more than one time because the first time always sucks for everything. So, right, like you have to do like two to three times Mm. of any given activity, but like anything, like things that you wouldn't think that you might like, try it anyway Mm. and find out for sure. Because you might not know that you like it or don't like it until you try it. Like mountain biking. I wouldn't have thought I liked mountain biking, Mm. but then I tried it and it turns out I enjoy aspects of that when it looks like this or whatever, right? Mm. We don't know everything. We anticipate with anxiety so much stuff that it colors our expectations. So we have to try it. Mm. People are hilariously uncomfortable with this. <laughs> and I have had so many people who are like, I'm not doing that. Like, well, <laughs> just so you know, my capacity to help you only extends beyond this hour if you take the things that we talk about and do them. Hmm. Your choice about that is up to you. But then don't come back and tell me, that everything is still hard and nothing worked when you didn't actually try it. Hmm. Right. So like, I can only help so much. I can only give so much. You (laughs) have to, you have to practice it. You have to try it on. Right. Yeah. But it feels uncomfortable to do. And I think what's cool is you've done it. Like you've, you've experimented with things and we don't always like it. Like I remember one time my husband made me join a baseball team. (laughs) I'm terrible. A team sport. Heads up. I did like zero team sports as a kid. I was a competitive dancer. I danced seven days a week. It was every spare hour of my life was dancing, which I loved, but it meant that I never learned the rules for things like baseball. Mm. And so when, when we started this, it was like, it was with our church team, like the church league. I thought, these will be lovely people who are like God fearing, <laughs> caring people. Nope. They were they are out That's for true. blood. Like they are in it hardcore. And then I did this thing where I was like, okay, I know I'm not going to be great at this. So I'm going to set myself up for success here. I went and bought the pinkest pink glove I could find. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to set everyone's expectations of me real low. Like they're going to be like the chick with the pink glove. Very low expect, low bar. Perfect. <laughs> That's what I need. Um, it was awful. I cried almost every time after, after, not in front of people, but like afterwards. I would go home and I'm like, that was awful. I hate how this feels. I feel terrible at everything. And I remember my husband being like, you know what, though? That's maybe good. Because like you tend to do the things that you feel good at. Mm. And so you never know what it feels like to like struggle or fail or suck at something and have to get better at it. Like that's kind of true. Like I do tend towards environments where I feel like I know I'll be pretty strong at it Mm. because it feels good to be good at things. It does. Yeah. So it was interesting to like experiment with sticking in something where I wasn't good at it. And we would practice like I... (laughs) He would have me at the field before and after and in between Hmm. practicing throwing further because I couldn't get it far enough. And right, like trying these different skills. And I, it was uncomfortable. It wasn't always fun, but it felt really rewarding when I could do a thing at the end that I couldn't do it at the Hmm. start or where I I made it through one where I didn't cry. That was a sad benchmark, but it was a benchmark. (laughs) Right. And like, I reflect on that time now. It's been probably 10 plus years since that happened. I reflect on that time with a lot of like, Mm. I'm proud of me for like sticking with something that didn't feel 
easy or um, that I didn't feel awesome at because it feels like that feels characteristic of me that I stepped out of a comfort zone. Mm. And I feel cool about that, right? Like self-care doesn't always look like the the easy peasy, really fun, Mm. comfy, cozy stuff. It's also the stuff that stretches us, but also feels reflective of like who we are Mm. and how we want to be in the world. Huh. And I think that's really interesting because I think what you said too, like there's a there's a reflection of like, why why did I find this other thing life-giving before? And it feels sad to lose it. Like there's a grief piece of like, mm-hmm. wow, I can't do, say, the running that I used to do. And this sucks that I can't do this anymore. So there's a loss. But then there's yeah. also like, why did I like to do it? Oh, I liked to do it because it made me feel like this or this is what I got out of it. Yeah. And when you recognize this is what I got out of it, then you can apply that to something else. It's not the, the what of what you're doing it's actually the why right so like so for me I remember and I think a lot about like when I was a kid and I used to go on my bike everywhere and I would explore and there's something about exploring outside that is really life-giving to me and it's something our whole family kind of finds life in and so that may look like hiking it may look like other things um but it's just that element of like unexpected and newness like I need change really badly I I really need like Mm -hmm. new environments environments are really like impactful for me I find that we have to kind of go away and go somewhere different like just out of this city that we're in here Mm -hmm. in Malawi because there's no trees and there's no mountains and there's no paths and there's no parks and we're in a compound and there's walls and I just feel like I want to scream after like a month and I just need to get out of the city and get into space where I feel like I can explore and I don't know what's around the, the next corner, right? So it's like finding like, oh, that's totally. that's that reason why I did that before. So how can I apply that in a different way now? And so like even working in the yes. garden in Canada, that was just like, I loved like the creativity, the element of creativity of like moving plants. And I don't even know, like that element of making something. And it's like, that's looked different mm-hmm. here in Malawi. I started doing a lot more writing when I was in Malawi and like making like artistry with words and like I so I do think that there is um I guess we have to just be curious about ourselves and curious about ourselves in each season and like what worked before and kind of some of those things are are still the same about us like I'm still a lot of the same Shannon that I was when I was eight you know the things that I loved but but it just looks different now you know like it just totally I don't know. Yeah. No, you're, I love it. We had a show a while back now that we talked about this idea of close approximations and that's the piece, right? Oh, it's yeah. like, I can know that what I liked about this thing was dot, dot, dot. Right. So like, yes, it was running, but what was it about the running? Mm. What was it that felt like fulfilling and meaningful about that? And while there may not ever be anything that feels like it's all the same as running was, that it gives me all the same things that running gave me in exactly the same way, can I find close approximations? Can I find something that like has similar properties, similar factors that Mm. um, come close? And it may not be all the things, but it's better than nothing, Mm. right? And it's at least like a jumping off point to maybe learn something else that I can do that, that reflects closely to that. So that when I am hurt... I have some things in my back pocket that I can turn to that are there for me instead of feeling like I used to run. That was the only thing I had. And then I got hurt and I have nothing. Mm. And now I have no coping and no skills and no capacity to manage. And I burn real quick because I have nothing that's a buffer to that. Mm. But if I have the ability to like anticipate close approximations to that, then I have alternatives. So when I'm hurt or sick and I can't run for whatever reason, 
I have alternatives that are sitting there waiting for me that are already mapped out. And I know will give me some amount of what I'm needing, Mm, even if it's not all of the things that running gave me in one fell swoop. Yeah. And I guess because of the fact that we moved abroad, it's like all of a sudden you really had no, like you had to find new ways of coping, right? Like there was no choice, but I think sometimes we don't realize that we, it's like we're living abroad in our own life. Like something has so drastically changed. Our environment has so drastically changed and we don't realize, oh yeah, like you've said, oh yeah, I have to pivot. Like, you know, it's easy for me to recognize that because we had such a distinct, like before and after we moved and our life looked so distinctly different, but that's true in seasons of life. Like when you went from not having kids to having kids or like having one to having two child or like working at home or versus Mm -hmm. working in a different work. I mean, there's so many times that we really are in a different, totally different space and we don't even give it give it credit for being the fact that it is a different space yes. like and I do need to adjust I can't totally. just keep doing the same thing I was doing before it's not going to work now like yeah yes oh my goodness Shannon I love so much that this is what we're talking about because mm-hmm. yes like a hundred percent that's exactly what it's like I think even the like stage of going from teens and early adulthood where we're making decisions about what we're going to be when we grow up and we're imagining our lives unfolding we have so much like time and energy in that space like Mm -hmm. I reflect back on that and remember feeling like there was no time and the me today is like shut up (laughs) shut up you had so much time you had so much energy and like you didn't know what tired felt like (laughs) Uh, you just won't know what it feels like to be arrested after yeah (laughs) you have no idea you have no clue um and so it's fascinating to kind of like right? That was this huge adjustment. And then for sure, when you add family, it's another huge adjustment. When you change into a career path instead of just like jobs while schooling, that's it. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many of these and they are, um, we think that we're just the same person existing in these new spaces, Mm -hmm. but they are whole new spaces and who we bring to that is different too, right? And how we adapt to being in those spaces is different. And so the, the things that contribute to making us okay in them also needs to adapt. Yeah, that's and I yeah. love that you're right. Like moving to Malawi is like this obvious one that we would all look at from the outside and be like, yeah, you're gonna have to come up with some new ideas there. But we don't do that in our the rest of our lives. We should. You're right. It's exactly the same, just like a different amount of obvious. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's really interesting that we we don't recognize how much we will need to redefine ourselves. Like even when I think about socially, like we love to put these words like you're an extrovert or introvert. But I feel like the degrees to which you're either sometimes depend on your life circumstance. So like yes. I, when I was a young mom, I'll, I mean, I was so desperate for connection with other moms. Like I just anything to get me out of the house, anything and everything. Mm-hmm. I just needed to be not at home all the time. And now I think about our life with our kids and our, our oldest is 12 and our youngest is six. And so much of our life mm-hmm. is around them and they're so still needing us, but in so many more ways, they want the conversations, they want the, like the deep engagement and the constant engagement. And I'm yeah. exhausted from that. Like I don't have the same capacity to have large networks of friends or like to have all these commitments outside of the home, like just being at home mm-hmm. and being with the kids and homeschooling them and all the other things I'm doing. Like, I just don't have a capacity for that amount of socializing anymore and that's weird to say because I'm such an extrovert or what I would have said oh you're always an extrovert well you know this season Mm -hmm. I'm not like I actually am not (laughs) so I yeah I yeah it's it's so interesting we do morph a lot hey and like life does change a lot and Mm -hmm. I think you're right that it when we're not um willing to to keep making these changes then we do get stuck and it really is easy to get stuck because but life just changes so fast it's just 
It's, it's yeah. hard to keep trying and keep trying something new and it's exhausting to find new ways to rest as crazy as that sounds, but like what works now? And that's true in marriage. It's true in relationships. Like, okay, well that used to work for us to connect together, but now that doesn't really work anymore. And even my husband the other totally. day was like, well, I don't even think you know what you want. And I was like, I, I, you're right. I don't, I don't know what I want. <laughs> you're not wrong about you're that. right. I don't even totally. know. <laughs> like, it's yeah. Just, well, and you're like true story, right? Like it's on an individual level. It is on a couple's level. It's on a parent child level. It's on all the levels that these things have to adapt and change as we're adapting and changing mm. and our life is too. It's a lot to manage. Like life on its own feels like a lot to manage. And then you add all of these pieces that we need to be somehow kind of reflective of and active in. Mm. And we're going to miss spots, right? There are going to be those moments where it's our husband saying, I don't think you know what you want. We're like, oh, right. Mm. Mm Yep. And this is where this is where grace right. comes in, right? And grace for ourselves and grace yes. for others because we don't know what we need sometimes and we don't know what we want and we don't yeah. know where we are. What season are we in? I mean, we my husband and I are profoundly confused most of the time trying to figure out what are we doing with ourselves? Like this this week is crazy. I don't know where are you and where am I and like I don't even know what's happening. And then there's the deeper questions of like what are we doing and you know, I just it's totally. you just need grace to be like, you know what? I, we're just, we're just a hot mess and that's okay. We're just going to always be a hot mess. <laughs> I know. I started using this descriptor of life feels really lifey. Um, lifey. When like I, my mom will call and be like, so how are you? And I'm like, well, you know, life's just feeling really lifey these days. <laughs> yes. And it's like all I can come up with yeah. to describe that. Like, I just feel like I'm at the mercy of like, the next bomb to drop, the next yes. mm-hmm. car to break down, right? Like the next, mm-hmm. the next whatever, the next phone call from the principal telling me that my kid did a thing or was involved in a thing or mm-hmm. like, what's the next one? Just throw it at me because I feel like I'm just in this like perennial experience of next things, <laughs> right? And oh. it's hard because I like, I love the description of just like always in a state of confusion, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just that's the feeling oh. right there. It's like it's like adulthood mm-hmm. is just like perpetual Mondays, you know? It's just like oh yes. like that whole adulting hashtag I really relate to because it's just sort of like, yeah, like today was a Monday, yes. right? And like my daughter woke up and was not feeling well and I was like, Here we are. Like this is gonna be our busiest week in yeah. the next month and of course you're sick. You know? Yeah, of course you are. Why didn't mm-hmm. I predict that? Right. Because that <laughs> has to happen. Just, mm-hmm. Of course. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Okay, Shannon, I want really quick before we end Mm -hmm. to kind of chat about what you're up to these days, because I know that you have um, various kind of projects that you've added on the side of the work that you're doing as a nurse. And so tell me about the book and the blog and the things that you are kind of like piecing together that feel kind of meaningful and speak your heart in some of this stuff. Oh, dear. So I'm kind of a perpetual... um try new things person. So I I love to seemingly try new things. So yeah, I've been Mm -hmm. blogging for quite a while and was doing that more seriously for a bit and starting to do some articles for other websites, but then did have a project um, that kind of fell. I don't even know how it happened exactly. I was in a state of, yeah, serious distress emotionally, oddly, but kind of out, out from that space of just processing um, kind of came this kid's book. And I, I don't, I don't really know how that happened, Mm -hmm. except I was just really ruminating on, anxiety I felt like I was living in and also my kids were living in and couldn't even articulate that's partly the pandemic but also Mm -hmm. just the anxiety of living cross-culturally and 
so much losses and just trying to yeah. make sense of it. And mm -hmm. I think working among, you know, in pediatric emergencies for a while and seeing a lot of anxious kids, this was pre-pandemic. So imagining that mm -hmm. kind of became this book called, um, well, we haven't fully decided the title, but um, there's a dragon in my pocket and it's just about a boy experiencing mm -hmm. anxiety as what starts like this little dragon in his pocket, which but becomes this large dragon that he's carrying around that he can't articulate, but he feels. And I think a lot of kids physiologically yeah. feel anxiety. They feel their heart beating faster. They feel heavier. They feel stomach aches. They feel these things like I can't focus. I can't see. I can't, you know, sleep. Yeah. And, and there's this yeah, real presence of anxiety that is like ruling, but it's hard to articulate. And I think sometimes we talk about these things in academic spaces and we talk about them, you know, teachers and other things, but not necessarily parents. And I think that the parents are the center of the kid's world. And how do we talk about that as a family in a way that makes sense? So that's kind of how this book, there was a friend I met here in Malawi who is my kid's art teacher. And she is like, you know, a new artist who's trying to find her footing. And I'm like, barely able to say that I'm a writer, you know, like I, these things that you're like, no, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not a writer, but you're like, you want to be a writer, but I can't even have the confidence to say that I'm a writer. So I'm kind of like, barely confident yeah. to say I'm a writer. And she's barely confident to say she's an artist. And we've just been working on this project. Mm. And it, I can't tell you how fun it was to see something that I had written come to life in a little character. Yeah. I just feel like every time she sends me a picture, I'm like, there he is. Like, there's the boy. <laughs> like, you know, and I, he's, he's, real. He's, yes, he's real. And um, so I, yeah, we've kind of, we're self-publishing this one through Friesen Press and um, it's been quite a journey. Like learning anything new as an adult, you just, mm -hmm. you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like this at every stage, you're like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how everyone seems to know how to do this because I don't know yeah. how to do this. So, <laughs> but, so we're trying, you know, yeah. and, and maybe a big flop, but it's been quite a fun journey. And I think um, hopefully will become something that could be a way that families could talk about their anxiety in something that is physical and tangible and real, but also maybe as a tool for educators to talk about with, with kids like really kind of that we all have yeah. dragons in our pocket and sometimes they're bigger than others. Like, and sometimes mm -hmm. we can voice them and then they can shrink and we don't feel the weight of them. And other times we just, you know, keep, they keep growing and like, um, and mm -hmm. adults have them too. And kids don't always get that, that conversation with parents that actually we have anxieties too. And sometimes what they feel is our anxiety yeah. and they don't know what it is, but they know it's there yeah. and it's real. Right. So I don't know. That's mm -hmm. kind of been a, something we've been playing around with and, done some other writings that are mm -hmm. on the works but you know time and all that good stuff that you wish you had <laughs> no I hear you well and I think so what I will say is that we'll link to some of your blog stuff oh. in the show notes so for people who are curious and want to know more about some of the work that you are doing they can kind of redirect there um and then are there kind of mechanisms in terms of people being able to follow you where they would hear more about when a book release happens that they could touch base if they were interested in something like that yeah I mean they certainly could just on my Instagram on Shannon Brink or just on my website which is shannonbrink.org but um we haven't started launching anything yet because we're still in the process of the layout and all that stuff but once we do um yeah yeah we will we'll share that yeah that's really fun yeah, I'm happy to post some of those links and, and to your website as well as to your Instagram so people can kind of follow along and see where that goes. Um, because we do have a lot of parents who are listening. And I think a lot of people who um, recognize that 
the fact that they do the jobs that they do means that their kids have some amount of anxiety as a result of what they carry home with them, as well as a result of like an awareness that their parents are sometimes at different risk than other people's parents might be, that Mm. there's kind of a, an innate amount of anxiety born into that, as well as the fact that like we are just seeing anxiety rates skyrocket Mm. for kids these days through the pandemic and other pieces. Um, I know I have a colleague here who has an online course for parents called CBT for the Family Tools for Life. And it is a program for parents of children who are aged five to 12 who are struggling with anxiety. Um, And the goal of it is to help parents feel empowered with skills based on cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the more um, kind of widely accepted treatment mechanisms for anxious kids. Um, it kind of lays out the foundational pieces for that and and skills and, and worksheets and pieces for parents and kids to adapt together mm. to create exercises that help everyone learn from it. That's really cool. And I know she and I have been talking a lot lately about how much feedback she's getting from schools, educators, parents about the degree of need um, around these kinds of, of tools, because even accessing things like therapy for kids right now is so hard because everyone and their dog is going insane. Um, as a result of COVID, like everyone is struggling. And so the wait times for, uh, public health access measures for counseling and things like that are ridiculously long. The waits at this stage for even private access are quite a bit longer than they used to be. Um, especially for kids and youth. And so this is kind of a piece that offers an inroad to help parents stabilize mm-hmm. things while they're waiting in the midst of it. Um, and I think any resources, like a, a tool, like a book that becomes this thing that facilitates awareness and feels um, engaging in a way that isn't like just informational, mm-hmm. right? Like when we can get caught in a story, we we learn and apply it differently. So true. And yeah. so I think it's cool when we can see ourselves in a character, see our kids in a character mm-hmm. and kind of go like, oh, what, what supports that character? Maybe we can do things like that too. Yeah, no, that was our heart with this too, is just that there there is this presence of anxiety with us that we just don't articulate. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think we can't talk to our kids about that. The fact that, you know, I, I actually am yeah. really worried too. Like, and that's like, that's like, we can voice that together. Mm -hmm. This is already there. We both already feel it and it's impacting you and you know it and I know it, but we're just not talking about it. Like there's a divide where we really want to facilitate those conversations among families with each other about like, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. Well, thanks so much, Lindsay. It's been super fun, Shannon. It's great to reconnect with you. And I hope that you guys are doing well over there and stay doing well. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. Thanks. You too. I want to say one more big thank you to my guest for today. It is so wonderful to get to have this opportunity to talk to some incredible and amazing people who have been out there doing the work, seeing the stuff, and figuring out how to hold it differently. I'm so grateful for the willingness of these incredible people to jump on with me, share their stories, and share with you the various ways that they're learning and finding to move through this kind of work with some amount of sanity intact. I think we can all take something really special from that. As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I also love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. 
If you have any feedback for my amazing guest today, please let me know and I'm happy to pass it along. I continue to be so amazed and inspired by this community that we are building and creating together. I'm so grateful for your support and that many of you are so incredibly keen to share about Behind the Line to others on the front lines. Thank you so much for sharing with those you know. I want to let you know that we do have ways to support sharing. So if you reach out to me, I can send you posters and cards and all kinds of other ways that you can share with your workplace and your colleagues about Behind the Line and our other resources. Also know that you can share any of our social media posts or forward any of our emails that we send you with reminders about the show. We just want more people to be supported. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Many of our summer series uh, episodes will be videotaped, and we will include those recordings on YouTube. So check those out if you want to join us in real life. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes, or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, and you can access our email list by clicking to get our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which helps you facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all of our different resources available to you guys because the work you do really, really matters to our communities, but way more than that, you matter. Your life matters, and the people who matter to you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, but as well in your very real and amazing life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.